and shepherds we shall be for thee, my Lord, for thee. Power hath descended forth from thy hand. Swiftly carry out thy command. So we shall flow river forth to thee, and teeming with souls shall it ever be. In nomine patri, it feeling. This is the St. Longinus' Baptism Podcast channel. This will be mailbag number two. Mailbag number two. I got a couple of questions a day or so ago. Um, Last time I tried to combine them. Uh, combine the questions into one episode. But I was unsatisfied with one of the topics I covered. I came to realize that one of those topics could have been an episode within itself. So I think what I'm going to do I've got two topics here that uh, a listener wanted covered. I'm going to start off on one topic and see where it goes. So, the question, the first question was about given Klaus Schwab's great reset, or as the uh, listener put it, Klaus Schwab's uh, Great Leap. And for the uninitiated, Mao Zedong, during his reign of terror in China, uh, had what was known as the Great Leap Forward. Um, Some of the uh, right-wing political commentators noted that uh, around 2019 and 2020 that the American cities that had, you know, their leftist autonomous zones, that they, they were acting more like Maoist communists than Stalinists. I think that's why he used the term Great Leap. Um... And quite frankly, when you're talking any any type of totalitarian ideology, I don't care if it's fascism, Nazism, or communism, it's those are going to be the umbrella terms. And within the umbrella terms, you're going to have your your gradations and your variations depending on. Uh, who whoever the leader of that particular branch is or his chief uh his his chief doctrine maker so i uh one one of the advantages that lord jesus and his blessed mother gave me was Back when I was not, you know, when I was a semi-pagan, I, in a dim way, I kind of understood how the uh, 
French Revolution was the baseline for every every totalitarian uh, regime that came afterward. But I didn't understand how they were interconnected. Now, some historians, and to my knowledge, they're mostly of the American kind, they'll try to tell you that the American Revolution was not as um, totalitarian as the French Revolution. What I would like to remind my listeners of is when any type of totalitarian um, regime gets in place, a lot of it is going to have to do with the time it took part in, the national character of the people, the society it is, the culture it is. Now, the American, obviously, anybody with even the vaguest historical understanding knows that, yes, the American Revolution was not as violent and bloody as the French Revolution. However, they just used different tactics. Instead of killing people outright, although there were some lynchings, um, they chose to intimidate and coerce people into tacit acceptance. Whereas the French Revolution, um, it got so bad that the revolutionaries started, you know, at a certain point started turning against each other. Um, uh, I, I'm going, honesty is my policy. When it comes to the French and American revolutions, I have a, a, a general idea of the main events, but I'm not e exactly as grounded in their history as I am, say, the Nazi revolution or the, uh, the communist revolution. So, I think I said this in a previous episode. So basically, up until sometime in the future, totalitarian regimes pretty much kept themselves to a country. Okay? In France, you, you, you had the French Revolution, which... Honestly speaking, um, never really stopped and hasn't stopped, but they're not, at least not yet, as far as I know, they're not, you know, destroying people left and right. You had the German revolution, uh, the Nazi revolution, then you had the communist revolution in several countries. And so, 
I'm going to try to give you an idea. And by the way, all of this is just my hunch based on my reading of history. I'm not claiming that it is infallible. <laughs> uh, most hunches aren't infallible unless they come directly from God. So I just want to put the disclaimer out there. This is my hunch how it'll work. The reason why I link the Great Reset to the um, Great Tribulation is because whereas uh, revolutions have been confined to certain uh, countries, and even during the Protestant revolt, you had the same thing. Um, not at, well, I, I take that back. The Protestant revolt, it wasn't entire states because the North Germans were basically Protestant and the South Germans were basically Catholic. The Calvinists were kind of in France and in Switzerland and the Anglicans and the Presbyterians were located in the UK. But after the Protestant revolt, generally totalitarian regimes um, were basically uh, confined to, to states. And speaking of totalitarianism, I believe, and if anyone has, knows better, they, they can let me know if I'm wrong about this. I believe that Calvin, when he took over Geneva, now Geneva's just a city, but he gave us the first model for totalitarianism. Because he had informers and spies all over Geneva. And if you did not toe the line with Calvin's little uh, oligarchy that was running Geneva, you could very well be run out of town at best. Some people actually got killed. So, and uh, Calvin ran Geneva sometime in the mid-1500s. So we're, we're, we're talking, you know, a long time ago. So I believe that the Great Reset, it's obviously going to be global. And I believe that the variations and gradations of what happens on a global scale are going to be dictated by the quote-unquote elites of each individual country. You know, China will have its own variant and gradation of the Great Reset. Russia will, Japan will, um, Vietnam, uh, the African countries, the European countries, the Middle Eastern countries, South America and North America, uh, and Europe, obviously, are going to have their own variations and gradations. Um, and 
the de de degree of the tear is also going to depend on the national character and the national makeup and the basically the makeup of the uh, the elites running the particular country. Now, I've always said I'm going to stick to the American example, and that is what I'm familiar with, so that I'm going to keep that. I believe the American version of the Great Reset is... Well... Before I go forward, to the uninitiated who've not, the, the, uh, the World Economic Forum, which is Klaus Schwab's organization, which has its tentacles in everything in the world, and if you understand masonry, you can just say that it's a Masonic front organization. They've already said, you know, the, I, I, I doubt very seriously the two videos are still out there. But in one video, they said you will live in a pod, basically a one room apartment or building very small. Um, meat will be a delicacy. Once again, that doesn't mean you'll get to eat meat. You will eat whatever garbage they give you. Um, they, uh, they said you, you know, bugs will be a delicacy. The reason why I, uh, I uh, well, I, I basically take people at their word, but before Schwab put out his video. There were articles in major news outlets or at least internet news outlets saying how, you know, bugs were a new form of protein and, you know, people had been eating bugs for centuries and it would be a good, a good cure for, uh, starvation by eating bugs. This was before Schwab put out his great reset plan. I think it was a trial balloon. And since it met, was met with a collective lawn, yawn, I'm sorry, I think Schwab felt his oats and said, well, getting a collective yawn, I'll just publicly state it. Um, you will eat the bug. Um, uh, you'll have no money. You won't own anything. And you won't, um, you, you, you'll like it, you'll love it. And we're seeing this right now. The subscription services. And this kind of goes back to what I'm talking about where um, I was talking about how not just internet services, but services in general are being degraded. And how, for the most part, um, at least on the internet, you know, you don't pay a one-time fee for, say, uh, 
YouTube, Red, or whatever Facebook's offering, or pick your internet company, you have a monthly subscription rate. And in some cases, you have a yearly subscription rate, but you don't. I, and I do think that this was a thing at least 20 years ago where if if the company had a subscription rate, you could pay a, a flat $200 fee and that was a lifetime payment and you were done. Once you paid the fee, you were good to go. They don't have that. You're, it's a monthly subscription fee. So that was another thing. They were saying, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. And <laughs> of course, to a certain segment of left-wingers, this sounds like heaven on earth. You know, because, oh, it's, it's, it's a kind of communism it's a kind of communism, but what a lot of people don't realize is it's to enrich Klaus Schwab and his, his hand-picked group of Masonic buddies, which is basically what communism is. The, the, the oligarchy on top gets rich. Everybody on the bottom not only is poor and miserable, but if they dare step out of line, they get tortured and killed. That's simple. Um, uh, so, as I already said, I've already noticed that just your basic pieces of equipment um, of uh, computer equipment, your laptops, your phones, your uh, tablets are absolute garbage. They're barely functional. Just like most of your internet, internet apps are, they too are garbage. And I had a set of Vacantist friends said, well, they nickel and dime you. Which I had noticed, I started noticing it around 2019. He's absolutely right. They, they, every app that... And even the pay apps have fees. Even the pay apps, which ostensibly back in the day, you paid for the app and that was the end of your fees. Now even the pay apps have fees. But it's $10 a month here, $10 a month there. And unless, and uh, this is a sign of modern society and culture. A lot of people have more money than sense. And so 
they will be subscribed to all the individuals that let's just say five apps and they're all $10 a month. So they're paying 50 bucks out of their paycheck, however often they're paid so that they're not inconvenienced with these you know, with with the with the purposely integrated flaws of these apps. And I'll use the most blatant example, ads. And this was floated, this concept was floated uh when television, television was first introduced like in the late 40s. And they started putting commercials on the television. And I remember one of the selling points when cable was introduced was because you were paying a subscription fee, you, were, you weren't going to have uh, ads. Your subscription fee covered the cost of your cable. Of course, that became a thing of the past I don't know exactly when, but we'll say sometime in the late 60s to maybe the 80s. And around the 70s, you started seeing... Now, I don't want to say the 70s. I think around the 90s, they started putting ads... And theaters. <coughs> Sorry, guys. I I remember around the nineties they started putting ads in theaters because you know I grew up in the seventies. When you went to a theater in the seventies, and, it, and it's actually a meme. They had the little. The little cartoons, you know, let's get a snack, let's go to the lobby, blah, blah, blah. But you didn't have commercials. Around the 90s, all of a sudden, you had a block of about a minute, possibly longer, of, oh, drink Coca-Cola. Drink Coca-Cola. It's the pause that refreshes. Um... Go to Sam's Butcher Shop. He's got the best steaks in town. Things like that. So this kind of thing has been introduced. It's been a thing for a minute. And the, the cover story that the makers of these apps have is, well, it's, you know, so we can make money to make our apps better. <laughs> I can, I can honestly say from personal experience that a couple of the apps that I subscribe to but do not give money to have um, gone through, they, they, you know, if, if you don't want the ads on your app, they, uh, they, uh, they have the subscription fees. 
on a, uh, on a few of the variations of these apps, there have been uh, I forget what they call it uh, mod, mods to ostensibly make the apps better. But as I've stated in a one or two previous episodes, some of the apps that I started out with last January have actually degenerated with the modifications that were supposed to make them more workable. And that um, I just... I'll keep my comments to myself. The, the original buggy, jinky app of a year ago is was actually more workable once you figured out how to work around the the purposely designed bugs in it were actually more workable than the quote unquote improvements that they made. Anyhow, I I think <laughs> I think the reason why I uh I have to save a topic or at least one topic uh, per episode is because my mind, it's, it's not a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not uh, methodical. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. My mind is not methodical. I will start off on one topic, remember something. Well, if you're an old listener, you, you're well familiar with what I'm talking with. So to get back to um, to the how the, the Great Reset is going to you know, what's going to happen? The overall plan has already been put out there in 2018. You're going to live in a pod. You're basically going to eat bugs, whether you want to or not. Um, you're you're going to uh, own nothing. And... <laughs> Schwab says in his video, unironically, and you'll be happy. While most totalitarian regimes, if you have the temerity to say, well, wait a minute, this isn't right. Well, they either, you know, toss you in a camp until you either die or you conform to the system, or they just cut out the middleman, take you to the local secret police shop, and they uh, take you to the basement and shoot you. So, and I'm sure that that particular statement gave Schwab uh, a particular sadistic pleasure in saying. Anyhow, I think that that's going to be the outlines. How it takes shape in various countries, it, as I said, is going to depend on the elites, the, the culture and society and the makeup of the local people. But it's going to be worldwide. 
it's going to be worldwide. I remember back in uh, around 2018, 2019, people were thinking if they moved to a based in red pill country, that they were gonna they were gonna be all right. No, <laughs> no. Um, that that's another aspect of this that is gonna be. It's absolutely going to be a part of this. Anybody who's ever read about totalitarian regimes, they brook, they brook no dissent. And basically, I'm using a 10-cent word to say they will have no dissent. As I said in a previous episode, if you're here in America and you think that moving deep into the heart of the Rockies is going to save you, if it's you by yourself and you know how to hunt, trap, and make a log cabin, yeah, you'll be okay. But if you try to form any communita and the elites that run this Masonic government find out, one way or the other, they're going to get around. I mean, and this is what I kept trying to tell the based in red pill I'm putting that in quotation marks. Right-wingers back in um, 2018 to 2020. Randy Weaver, for those of you who don't know, they painted him out as a white supremacist. And uh, the FBI raided his cabin. He was literally living in a cabin in, I want to say either Idaho or Washington State. He was just living in a camp cabin and the FBI um they killed they they shot Randy Weaver and they made up some BS account of how you know he shot at them first or whatever. And I think they might have even killed his newborn. But the cover story was was he was a white supremacist. That guy was basically living with him, his wife, and his kids. Isolated. You have. uh, The Branch Divinians in Waco, Texas. Anybody who's been to Texas knows. That there is a wide swath of Texas. Where it's pretty isolated. And as near as I can tell, the Branch Divinians were living in their compound and um, they weren't bothering anybody. But yet, the ATF, the FBI, used armored vehicles, not tanks, you right-wingers, not tanks, armored vehicles. When I saw the video footage, those are not tanks. They're tank recovery vehicles. But there is a huge difference. You can't use a tank recovery vehicle against another tank. Anyhow, they stormed the compound, torched the compound, and a bunch of people ended up dying. And the cover story there was, well, um, David Koresh was molesting kids. That's why we had to go in there. And then, of course, you had uh, 
you had the um, the ranchers in Oregon. Now, on the face of it, it looks like they stood down the federal government. On the face of it. But one of the tactics of a totalitarian regime is if they can't make a public show of stomping you a new mud hole, they'll basically back down and wait for the, for the memory to go away. And then later after everyone is forgotten and basically in America, that's five minutes, they secretly go behind and they do what they do. And that's what they did with January 6th. I have personal experience with this. They have arrested people who were at January 6th. The the only announcement of it was in the local papers. And everybody who's tech savvy knows the only people that that read newspapers, actual newspapers, are boomers. That's it. So they did it very quietly. And you would think if these families, and they were families, were as hardcore terroristic as the government said they were, they would have made a big show and a big issue of arresting them because these guys are terrorists against the federal government. They didn't. Anyhow, so... Um, I, all you have to do is read about communist Russia, uh, Nazi Germany, uh, revolutionary France, um, any communist regime, you know, outside of Russia, China, Vietnam, take your pick. This is the tactics they use. But once again, these are not going to be lo- uh, localized to a country. They're, they're going to be on a global scale. Once again, this has taken me a long time to get to my point. As far as the American version of the Great Reset, how it's going to look. There have been uh, reports that several food pot processing plants have been torched and we already have inflation. And I'm not enough of an economist to know what hyperinflation is. I don't think that this is actual hyperinflation, but I suspect we're getting there because relative, well, the food last year was overpriced, but those prices have gone up at least once or twice over the past year. And I think part of that is the devaluing of the currency. But I also think part of it is, is the destruction of the food processing plants. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. One of the... the I, I told you about the one report or the one video that Schwab had done, you know, 
um, where he basically says what the plan of the World Economic Forum is. The second thing that came out was somehow or another, a report came out that said one of the goals of the World Economic Forum was to reduce the world's population by 75%. Now, the world's population, this is a guesstimate, is around 8 billion people. Now, how do you kill off three quarters of 8 billion people? Well, World War II and World War I wiped out millions of people. But the, 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 uh, <laughs> the, uh, I'm trying to think of a proper word for these people. Basically, Satan's minions at the World Economic Forum. You can do a strategic nuclear strike on population centers. Now, I don't want to get into a whole bunch of military jargon. When I say strategic nuclear strikes, I'm basically saying you take a certain amount, a certain power of nuclear missile, and you drop it on population centers. For America, for example, L.A., San Francisco, um, Seattle, Chicago, New York, Atlanta... Dallas, and you just, you drop one nuke on, on the cities and you've taken out a good chunk of the American population. The rest can be applied to Russia, China, Europe, you know, Paris, Berlin, London, Moscow, Beijing, and Actually, Beijing has a lot of um, or I'm sorry, I said Beijing. China has a lot of big population centers. But you just drop a, a tactical nuke on one of these cities, not indiscriminately, but on cities, and you're taking out part of it, part of the world's population. Well, in addition to this, you destroy food sources. Except, of course, if you're the satanic um, minions who you're going to be living high off the hog, you make sure that your resources are protected and you destroy the food resources of the rest of the planet that you want to get rid of. There's that. And... This is going to sound a little a little paranoiaish, but we'll see. I believe that this whole pandemic thing that's been going on for the past couple of years is actually a test run. I believe it's actually a test run. I think that part of the famine will have wars and will have strategic nuclear strikes. Part of that will be an actual, an actual vir, vir, virulent str, uh, strain of a disease. 
will be unleashed. And there, there are probably going to be other things. Those are the things off the top of my head, though, that I think are going to happen. Because they have... Well, that's another thing, too. The World Economic Forum, if they allow this information to get out, there's a reason that they let, allowed it to get out. And I take people at the world, that the World Economic Forum is publicly saying we want to reduce the population by 75%. We are talking about billions of people. Those are just the, the things that I suspect are going to happen. Because you're, you're talking about billions. And up until the time that the Great Reset becomes a reality, I think that basically the satanic minions of, of the World Economic Forum, they, them and their chosen oligarchies, their chosen businesses, because that's another thing about totalitarian governments too. You know, I know it's popular in America to say, oh, well, government chooses winners and losers. It always has. <laughs> once, once you start reading about the history of the American government, the American government has always chose winners and losers. Even back when it was making its canals in the early 1800s, it was picking which companies were going to, do what they did and they were enriching their buddies basically but they're going to vampire not just in a physical sense where they're going to pump you full of chemicals. They're going to give you crappy food. And, <laughs> you know, I know that there's this thing toward food purity. Oh, I can't have a uh, GMO. Think about this. If you don't have your own farm and are growing your own food that you know for a fact that you haven't genetically modified, although you could be using genetically modified seeds and not know it. I remember in the movie with uh, Chris Farley and uh, David Spade, um called Tommy Boy. Um, basically, Chris Farley goes home, he's graduated college, and his dad wants to teach him, you know, he owns his own car parts business, and he's, he's a crackerjack salesman. And the, the father is uh, 
It doesn't matter who the dad is. But anyway, so Tommy Boy is basically watching his dad in action. And his dad goes into this uh, this uh, part retailer. And the owner of the retailer is, he's like, well, product X gives me a guarantee. Can you give me a guarantee? And the dad tells him, he says, well, look, I could take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed. Does that necessarily mean it, you know, that it's a great product? Which is an absolute, <laughs> it's an absolute, absolute point. You know, just because something is marked non-GMO, non-genetically modified, organic, Blah, blah, blah does not necessarily mean it's organic. And basically, I don't care how autistically anal you are being with the content of what you're eating. You have absolutely no idea what you are eating. As I said in a previous episode, I suspect when, you know, when the Great Reset comes reality that they're going to give you literal bugs to eat and they're going, they're going to, to package it in such a way that you think what you are eating is good for you and excellent for you. It's going to make you live longer. When in fact, you're just going to be eating up a bunch of bugs. And that's part of the vampirism. Because they're going to drain your money, nickeling and diming you to death. This is, this is what I'm seeing happen before it actually happens. In other words, when they actually, you know, when the Great Reset actually comes to pass... They're going to nickel and they're going to vampire you financially. They're going to vampire you physically. Because to the easily misled, they're going, to, oh, you need to take this shot. You need to take this vitamin. They're going to adulter adulterate your food and your drugs if they haven't already been doing it. That's another thing. We have no idea the vitamins we take, the medicines we take, what actual effect they're having on us. We have no idea. So they're going to vampire us financially and, and physically. And then there's spiritual vampirism. They are going to vampire us spiritually. There is... Um, in in, in uh, some... Uh, books about ghosts and, you know, psychics and stuff. They talk about psychic vampires. Now, given the nature of the authors who write this garbage, they're kind of right, for, but mostly, well, for all the wrong reasons. When they say psychic vampires, they're really talking about spiritual vampires. And basically how they're going to 
spirit, spiritually vampirize the majority of the world's population is that they are going to corrupt and degenerate and they're going to corrupt and degenerate human society even more than they already have. Now, some of the hardcore right-wingers may say, well, how's that going to happen? They've already degenerated. One of the things that I've been learning in the spiritual life is when you start off, you think, if, if you're given the, the spiritual wisdom, you, you understand that you've pretty sunk to, to levels that you didn't realize you'd sunk to. And it's not until you advance further in the spiritual life that you realize just how low you actually can, can go. And it's the same thing. Um, I don't know who needs to hear this. Actually, everyone needs to hear this. You have young men and, and basically people of good intention defending the OnlyFans girls. Now, to those of you, and you should thank the Lord Jesus that you did not, that you're not aware of this, some of those OnlyFans girls are under a lot of them are under 18. And I think some of them are under 14. And they are legally doing things on camera and getting money for them. And these peoples are, these people, they, under, they understand that this is wrong, but they're once again the distraction and the the distraction and the the um, the misplacing of priorities and the misunderstanding goes around. They're blaming men. Well, if men didn't watch this, that's missing the boat entirely. First of all, the parents, if they're not aware that their young girls are doing this, why aren't they aware? The second thing is, why, um, if the parents do find out about this uh, degenerate behavior, why aren't they doing anything? And thirdly, how would you raise your young daughter to think it was even remotely okay to do this kind of behavior on public video and make money off of it. Indirectly, it's child prostitution. A lot of people get it twisted and think that child prostitution is um, it's just a physical thing. No, it's not just a physical thing. It's, it's actually a... Uh, it's an indirect prostitution. Instead of actually paying, um, allowing men to pay to have sex with them, 
They're allowing men to pay money to watch them simulate sex acts. Okay? So right now, it's voluntary. What I suspect is, is when the Great Reset kicks off, it's going to be involuntarily. And, you know, in case uh, Jeffrey Epstein's island didn't clue you in, and some of the stories about the deep and seamy underbelly of this kind of uh, degeneracy. Um, right now, child prostitution is a reality. And it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of it. I mean, just look at what's happening to the young British girls in England. It's involuntary right now. But right now, it's on a relatively, as far as I know, it's on a relatively uh, low scale. When the Great Reset actually kicks in, it's going to be on a global scale. And I think what we can look at is, is that all these the, the really attractive women who are not either politically or they're not connected to the uh, Satan's minions of the World Economic Forum. The really young, beautiful girls, when they're cut off from their, from their, from their stuff, their access to things, are going to voluntarily prostitute themselves so that they can have their stuff. And this is not this is not some sort of oh intense insight. Read the history, read the history of totalitarian regimes. I'm thinking of communist Russia in particular. You um the head of the Stalinist KGB back in the 30s used to ride around in the car, at in his personal car, at midnight and pick up beautiful young ladies in Moscow to basically rape them. And if they refused his advances or whatever, he would give them a choice. Well, you either let me rape you or I'm going to send you to a Siberian labor camp where you're going to wish you were dead. The only thing that stopped this guy was he got so full of hubris that he was, he actually, member, members of the Politburo, which is basically the commun, Russian Communist Party, central parties, you know, the bigwigs, the oligarchy, he was actually raping their wives and their daughters. The only reason they didn't whack him then was because he was Stalin's favorite. But once Stalin died, oh, he died a very horrible death. So this is not nothing new. This happens all the time. You know, those who cannot be, um, those First, it's voluntary, 
and then it gets coerced. Okay, so basically went far afield, and I'm not done yet. This, these questions he asked me are, well, maybe he wants them to be a little more pithy, but um, I'm trying to be conscientious about this, and I, I would like them to be pithy, but they're not. Anyway, I'm going to start a second, uh, a second part of this. Give me a second. Yeah. Apparently uh I called it at the beginning of the episode that I tend to wander and ramble and make things a little longer than they have to be. But I do believe in being as conscientious as I can and if one thing I hate is when I cover a topic and then I re-listen to it and then I get the understanding that there were areas that I missed that if I'd been a little more careful that I uh, could have covered. Okay, so for Klaus's Great Reset, I left off at the physical and spiritual vampirism that is going to be committed. And because I believe in Lord Jesus and the Blessed Mother, I believe that this kind of vampirism is connected with all types of totalitarian governments, even bad governments. Um, there were nobles, even when there was a Christendom, who committed such atrocities. You know, we're talking the 1200s, the 1100s, the 1300s. However, because the one true church was the major force of Christendom and because people had not be, been degenerated to the point that they have been now, if the population or heaven forbid your local bishop found out that, you know, you were doing horrendous things, they took care of you. They took care of you. Not to go too deep a field, um, there is a, it's not a legend, um, there was a Hungarian noblewoman named Madame Bathory. Uh, um, yeah, I think it was Madame Bathory. And they made vampire movies about her. But I think her time period, I want to say, was in the 1400s. But she had... Because noble ladies at that time, they, they had a bunch of women who... were their attendants, you know. They took care of her clothes, cleaned her ho uh, her house, and they, you know, because of the time it was, you didn't have men doing this. You had women. Anyhow, the, the, the 
The history states that, oh, by the way, in case, well, this probably needs to be said. Madame Bathory was bat crap crazy. Best charitable way I can put it. She was brutal. I mean, even, even by um, middle-aged standards, she was brutal. And so, she would beat, I mean, she would beat her female servants. And I believe even before, well, let me, let me put it to you this way. She beat them so badly that some of them died because she was a noblewoman at that time. Her male servants didn't didn't say anything. They kept their mouth shut and they just hid the bodies and then basically they took a bag of gold to the to the to the girl's parents and said, "Here's a bag of gold. You're your daughter ran off, whatever. This is, this is uh, Madame Bathory's compensation. And, you know, they left it at that. Well, during one of the beatings of the females, her female servants, some blood had splattered onto her face. And because she was bat crap crazy, Madame Bathory wanted, you know, she wanted the elixir of youthful looks. Kind of like a Middle Ages version of Oil of Olay. And she was convinced when the blood splattered on her, the girl she was beating was a virgin. And she was convinced that the blood of the virgin was her version of oil of Olay. And so what had started out as her just being bat crap crazy and accidentally killing her female servants in a fit of rage actually turned into cold-blooded murder because what she was doing was um, she had like three or four male servants who basically did her bidding and she sent these guys into the countryside of her province and kidnapped young female virgins where they were killed um, and their blood drained into this giant vat where she would take literal baths in them because she was I remember, crazy, she was convinced that this was giving her youthful appearance. Well, eventually, the local nobles got wind of what she was doing. And when they found out, they rode to her castle, they killed her male underlings, in a horrible, brutal fashion. And then they proceeded to wall her up in her apartment. Literally wall her up. And the, the end of this particular story depends on 
the source, one source says they walled it up completely except for a tiny little food slot where they gave her bread and water. And basically, she died walled up within the walls of her apartment of old age. Other sources say, no, she was completely walled up and she died of <laughs> starvation or thirst. Personally, if she died the second way, the, the, the punishment would have, actually, punishment would have never fit the crime. But in, in a worldly sense, the punishment would have fit the crime. And luckily there's, uh, I shouldn't say luckily, God, thanks to God's divine providence, there's hell. So, you know, <laughs> her actual punishment is going to fit her actual crime in hell. The reason I'm saying this is, this is, this is, this is nothing new. Um, this is nothing new. This is, this is what humans do when they have access to unlimited power and their souls and minds have been corrupted and twisted. Now, I, I was talking to another set of accountants about this. I believe that the Klaus Schwab's satanic oligarchy is probably about 1% of the world's population. Maybe a little less, but no more than 1%. So if they're going to if they're going to kill off 25 uh, I'm sorry 75% of the world's population and that the inner circle numbers about 1% that leaves 24% of the population left over um what what happens to them any good Anybody who studied totalitarian regimes understands that there is there's the inner circle there's the inner circle that they they live top of the hog but then you get a privileged circle outside of them and these guys are the technicians and yeah, they're the technicians that the inner circle can't do without. They're the ones who provide the inner circle with their quality goods, um, their whatever whatever their needs are, and the technical expertise. And to to give an example of what I'm talking about. During World War II, after the Soviets had stolen the atomic bomb secrets from America, Stalin put a bunch of his top scientists into replicating their own atomic bomb. And these scientists, while they were subject to Stalin's whims, 
we're given access to privileges and perks that your average Soviet citizen could only dream of getting a hold of. And if you don't understand why they were treated so specially, um, I, I, as of right now, I don't have time to, to help you, but it should be quite evident why. So, this outer circle, which is not the privileged class, they will get privileges and perks that the last class will not. But these, this, this medium circle, um, they, they, they are going to be, have access to stuff that, you know, the, um, the peasant class of this new society is not going to have. And then the last class is going to be, as I said, the peasant class. Because one of the things that I researched when I was reading about the Great Reset was they were talking about the neo-feudalist nature of the Great Reset. And the term neo-feudalist is... It's not completely correct, but in generality, it is correct. Except because it's a bunch of Satanists doing this, it's going to have, as today's society does, just on a more brutal level, a very, very dark underclass. You're going to have the people who are going to till the... Oh, I want to go back just a hair. The, the, the outer class between the elites, uh, the, the, the oligarchs and the peasants, part of their uh, middle, middle part are going to be the secret police, members of the armed forces, um, intelligence agencies, um, people who serve the oligarchy directly. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Anyhow, so the peasant classes are going to be the people who are going to till the fields. Um, and they, they are going to be, they are going to be um, their daughters and their sons. If they're very attractive and very intelligent, you know, if they fit whatever particular need that the regime wants, they're going to be taken from the peasants and, you know, they're either going to be made into literal concubines or stud farms or they're going to use the females to help repopulate if, if let's just say, um, a particular elite woman cannot bear children they will be the surrogate mothers for the elite children. And the peasants are going to be, as the best of a term as I can put it, the service workers of the new regime. 
Oh, and one other thing too. This happened in Soviet Russia too, and probably communist China. Pick your communist regime. Even you have three different stratas of a totalitarian regime. Even the, for lack of a better term, I'll call them the middle class, although that's not quite correct. Even the middle class provides their children for the needs of the ruling oligarchy. As I stated with the um, the example of the KGB, the head of the KGB during Stalinist reign, he was actually raping uh, the wives and the, the 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 young females of the the actual oligarchy, you know, the Politburo. And the only reason he got away with it was that the head dictator Joseph Stalin. He was, he was Stalin's favorite. They didn't dare touch him. But once Stalin was dead. Well, anyway, so the middle class of this new society is not going to suffer as badly as the service class. I guess to make it this as brief as I can... This, this new feudalism isn't going to be any different from society as it is now. It's just going to be on a smaller scale and more, more brutal and degenerate than what we're experiencing right now. And I just want to remind you, based in red pill, the uh, set of contests or, you know, neo-trads. Until you understand, until you understand how low you yourself can sink, you will never fully understand how low human society can sink. You know, um, and if you don't understand how low you yourself can sink, you know, when people, you know, when, when you're griping and moaning about how males are exploiting young females, you're, you know, and somebody reminds you, well, young males are being exploited too. Where's your outrage for them? Um, uh, most of these young females who are doing this garbage are doing so voluntarily. Why aren't, why, why aren't you angry that their parents allowed them to get in this spiritual state? Your, your thinking process is always going to be confused and misdirected. And you're going to be very, very... Um, angry that people are bringing this up to you because you don't you don't have the conception 
of seeing the, I guess what some, uh, some uh, podcaster would say, the bird's eye view of things. You're never going to see it. And you're not going to understand. But this, this new society that they got planned is for their own selfish purposes. I'm talking about the uh, World Economic Forum oligarchy, which is basically Masonism. And this is why when I say when the Great Reset is implemented, it's going to be it's going to be outside of the imaginations of most people. And it's also going to be outside the experience, I'm going to be bold to say, of all people. I think that what is coming up is going to be unimaginable by anyone. So having said this, I'm going to close this out. I probably did not give this, and once again, I probably would have behooved me to do some notes. Because I'm sure if I come back and re-listen to this, I'm going to be thinking while I'm listening to this, oh, I could have said this, I could have said that. But that is my generalized view of how of what the the Great Reset is going to look like. And also, I'm going to end with this. Oh, oh, another reason why even secular history, a knowledge of it, is important, especially certain periods of secular history are important because if you have a good grasp of history and even even if you've led a fairly sheltered life, if you have a good understanding of secular history, it's going to break your illusions. It's going to break your illusions. You, you know, you don't need to be a, um, a person with a bad, a bad past to understand how um, the, the depths that human beings can sink. You can, you could lead a fairly sheltered background and if you read certain parts of history... And, you know, if, if you have that understanding and you read that history, it'll give you an understanding to the point where not only will you be able to kind of have a sense what's going on underneath the surface of your culture and your um, society, you'll also... It, it won't surprise, human behavior will no longer surprise you. 
Now, I'm not, you know, everybody's an individual. But as a general rule, I think that that's as fair as anything. So, and on a personal level, I want to stress one more time before I close this out that If you are doing a sincere effort to grow in the spiritual life, and even if you think you're absolutely convinced that you've led a virtuous life, once you start growing in the, in the spiritual life, if you're being completely honest with yourself, God will give you the grace to understand there, there were several opportunities or there are several opportunities where you could be a complete and utter gener degenerate, uh, wretched person. And it was only the grace of God that kept you from being that way. Nobody, and I'm not going to get into this whole thing, but in the book of Romans, the whole well, one of the major themes in the book of Romans is nobody is righteous. You know, that's Luther went and twisted that up, but this isn't theology. But nobody is righteous. Nobody is virtuous without God's help, without God's grace. And there's a lot of people who think that they're virtuous, who are running around just looking at the surface of their life. And all I got to say to these people, you're not as virtuous as you think you are. You're not even close. Anyhow, I apologize for this running long. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate you spending this time. It's been quite deep. Um, I hope and I pray you got something out of this. I hope that as dull and broken of a tool that I am, that God will bring some good out of this. Um, but I appreciate you listening. Uh, I am praying for everyone to, who's attached to me directly or indirectly. And... I just want to say, I'd like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.